Today's passage is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. If you have a Bible or Bible app, please turn with me there. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. I, I am honored that you have chosen to join us uh, as we open the Word of God and study it. Uh, so thanks for joining in. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead Church. And I would encourage you, however you're tuning into this service, whether it's on Facebook or Vimeo, to go ahead and like our social media pages. Go ahead and like us on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you tend to hang out socially. Uh, we push out a lot of information in, in those ways. It's a great way to connect for, with others in our community and to stay in the loop. So, so go ahead and just make sure that you connect. Um, I announced to the church this week that we are beginning our gathering plan, right? We've been in a We've been in a season of diaspora, right? We have been spread out because of the pandemic. And Illinois just moved to phase four uh, this week, which allows gatherings of up to 50 people as long as uh, proper social distancing and other precautions are taken. And so through July, uh, what we're doing is trying to organize backyard and driveway gatherings for worship and, and for community um, to, to allow groups of up to 50 to come together to, on Sundays to worship together, to hang out, to have community together. Um, and those of you who have been ready to gather, man, now's your time to step up and help us do it. Okay, what we're looking for are hosts. We're looking for people that are going to open their backyards, uh, provide their driveways for others to come and gather. We, we put out a, a link in my newsletter this week where you can just click it and go through and share your information with us and let us know that you are interested and available and we'll get in a conversation with you about what it looks like. But we would love for you to do that right away so we can get this thing going. Now, if you don't get our newsletter, don't worry, it's, it's available to everybody. All you have to do is go to our website, trailheadonline.org, and at the top of our, our homepage, it says weekly updates. Just click there, you'll, you'll see this week's and all the previous week's weekly updates there. So I look forward to being able to, to, to start having some, some gathering, right? This is an exciting little new phase in, in, in our pandemic, <laughs> if you can even use that phrase, exciting new phase. All right, so far in our series, uh, we've looked at three analogies. Uh, describing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We looked at Ephesians 5 and, and the command, be filled with the Spirit. We looked at John 15, abide in the vine. We looked at Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit or, or keep in step with the Spirit. These are three commands, right? That, that if we obey, we're going to enter into a greater experience of some of God's greatest blessings to us in Jesus. Right? If we obey these commands, if we progressively move forward in them, we'll experience more of the blessing God has given us. There are also really three invitations 
um, three invitations to rest, to rest in what God has done and to rest from our, our performance, our work, our attempt to get the fullness of life apart from the God who gave it and rest instead in, in, in what God has done to deliver the fullness of life to us. And we see that because there are three comparisons. Each of those passages not only give us a command, but, but give us a comparison. There's something we do by default. There's something we do in rebellion to God. There's something we do, just, it just feels natural to us, and we're being commanded to do what isn't natural, right? So, so be filled in the Spirit, don't be drunk on wine, right? Which, of course, is about way more than just wine. We're always filling ourselves with something. Um, stop filling yourself with what doesn't save. Stop filling yourself with what won't deliver you into what you're trying to actually get to. And instead, be filled with the Spirit, right? Abide in the vine, which is, it was Jesus' way of saying, abide in my love, rest in my love. He said, even as I abide in my Father's love, you abide in my love. Because apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So we're to abide in the vine, abide in his strength, his love, instead of our strength. Instead of abiding in our ability to provide or produce or perform, we are to abide in, in his love and allow his love to do for us what our work can't do for ourselves. We are to walk in the spirit instead of doing works of the flesh, which is our way of, of again, trying to accomplish or defeat or experience what, what, what we want from God, but doing it in our own strength. No, don't do the works of the flesh. Instead, walk in the spirit right? Have a humble, dependent, ongoing relationship with the Spirit. They all speak of ongoing, humble, dependent heart postures in relationship to God, right? It, it, of responding to God's love of, of, that, that leads to an increased obedience to God and responsiveness to God and ultimately personal transformation in our relationship with God. All right, if we're going to do this, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, if we're going to abide in the vine, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, there's one more principle that I think it'll be really helpful for us to understand, and that's the principle of the seed. If we want the fullness of life, we need to sow seeds that produce the fruit of life. So we need to know what that is, right? How do we sow seeds that actually produce the fruit of life in our souls. Take a look at verse 8 in our passage today. Verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his flesh, his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. All right, this is a, this is a super simple principle. Every day, every moment, with every interaction you have um, with, with, with someone in your family or someone in your cul-de-sac or someone in your workplace or, or someone online, even every interaction you have with yourself, um, either, either talking to yourself out loud or in, in the internal conversation in your head, every interaction, you're sowing seeds. You are sowing seeds. And you're sowing those seeds to the flesh, or to the Spirit. Every choice you make will sow a seed or, or seeds into the soil of your own soul. And those seeds will produce fruit. Those seeds will produce fruit. A couple of years ago, I built Lauren a, a garden 
in our backyard. And, and on the back of that garden, I built a, a tall trellis, a double trellis, um, so that she could plant uh, climbing plants that would grow up. And, um, and so she was doing, at the time, a, a, a white garden. She wanted white flowers in the garden, so she planted two clematis. Uh, which are climbing vines that would go up the trellis and, and they would produce these, these beautiful, large, white flowers. And so she planted them and then um, uh, they grew. And, and about a month later, I guess it was, the first one opened and they really were these, these beautiful white flowers at the back of the garden. And then, and then almost immediately after, the other one opened and had beautiful maroon flowers at the back of the garden, Right? Not what was planned, not what was intended, but was what was planted, right? The seeds looked identical, right? When they went into the ground, she had no idea that, that, that she was planting a red flower and a white flower. But here's the thing, there was never a chance that anything but a red flower would come from that seed. Like there wasn't a moment where it could have gone either way because what you plant is what will grow, it took months to find out, but this simple rule never fails. What you plant is what you'll get, or, or to use biblical language, you will reap what you sow. Whatever it is you plant is going to produce a harvest, and that's true with plants, and it is true with your heart. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption, abounding, increasing things that you don't want. Anxiety, dissatisfaction, anger, frustration, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, envy, lust. You will reap corruption if you sow to the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. That's what this verse says. Now remember, eternal life isn't just a length of life. It is a quality of life, right? Because uh, it's more than eternal existence. Eternal existence, man, if, if you had eternal existence without the quality of, of a full and, and fruitful life, that would, be, that would be horrible. That could be one of the worst things you can imagine, right? When, when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not simply talking about a length of days. It's, it's talking about a quality of life and an indestructible life of joy and fullness. And because it is an indestructible life, it has no expiration date. It never dies, right? So eternal life is a length of time, but, but it's more than that. It's a quality of life. When you sow to the Spirit, you experience the life qualities of this full and vibrant life. One of the fundamental problems in this process, though, is that we like to fool ourselves into thinking that it's not true. We, we actually like to fool ourselves into thinking, I can plant this and get that. Take a look at verse 7 where Paul warns us about this very thing. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Don't, don't, don't deceive yourself, right? Don't play games with yourself. Don't, don't try to trick yourself. And in the process, mock God who, who is never deceived right? Don't do that. Don't, don't think you can plant one thing and, and get something else, right? Listen, we, we trick ourselves and we mock God when we sow seeds to the flesh and think that we're going to be able, in spite of that, to reap the fruit of the Spirit, right? We, we deceive ourselves and, and we mock God. Um, let, me, let me give you some framework for this and why we would even do that, because that sounds like the stupidest thing in the world. I want corn, um, but I plant asparagus, right? Stupidest thing in the world. 
I don't even know if, I assume asparagus comes from a seed. I don't know. That was off the top of my head. But you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. It would be stupid to plant a seed knowing it was one thing and hoping to get another, right? Why would we even do that, right? I'll tell you why we would do that. We would do it because, because we're not standing between the flesh and the spirit as, as impartial observers, right? We saw last week that, that our heart is, is, is a trench warfare, right? The spirit is entrenched against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And those two desires are in competition with one another. They are in a struggle with one another. And it's not that the spirit's having a hard time overcoming the flesh. It's that we're having a hard time siding with the spirit, right? We, we, we side with the flesh. We're not indifferent in this struggle. We love the flesh. Now, remember, we're not talking about our physical body, we're talking about the inheritance of a, of a broken spirituality that came from the rebellion of our first parents. And, and, and we love that same rebellion. It's in our hearts, this, this restless rebellion against God. We love it. We love it. Um, when, when the Holy Spirit came and, and indwelt us, he wasn't coming into familiar and friendly territory. Right? The reason he entrenched himself is because he was coming into enemy territory. And, and the enemy is, is really our own hearts. Right? He's reclaiming territory, and what he has to do is realign our desires with what is good and righteous and holy and actually lead us to life and free us. Right? Our desires struggle against that. Let me put it in words that, that might make it feel a little closer to home. We love independence, don't we? We hate to be controlled, especially if we feel like that control is, is, not, is blocking us from getting us what we want. Right? We love independence. We love choices. Um, we, we, love, we love glory. We love to establish our own glory and, and mark the boundaries of, of, of we love to earn res- respect. We, we love to be in control, right? We love to control the loose ends of life. We, we like to have enough money that we're not taken off guard. We like to have enough security that, that we can control what's happening. We, we, like, to, we like to feel safe in, in the circle of the security we've created for ourselves. We, we like to avoid discomfort. Right? So we want to be in control. We want to have enough glory. We want to have enough prestige. We, we want to have enough influence that, that we can avoid discomfort at all costs and, and enjoy the comfort and the pleasures we want to when we want. Right? Listen, these desires, they're not bad desires in and of themselves, except for the fact that for us to fully feel independent, it puts us in competition with God. Because our relationship with God isn't one of independence, it's one of dependence, right? Our need to feel significant isn't a bad thing, except that our need to feel significant is now in comparison to God. We want to feel significant in our own right, in our own works, according to what we've accomplished, according to to the mountain we've climbed, instead of simply receiving and reflecting the glory of God, right? We, We were created to be humbly dependent on God. Every moment of every day, right? Receiving the goodness that pours out of his character, being covered with the glory that that is expressive of his character, finding security in the fact that he is strong and over all things, even if we're not, right? Enjoying the pleasures that we were created to enjoy because they were given to us by the God who created pleasure, but enjoying those pleasures, in the ways and at the times God has designed those pleasures to be enjoyed, right? We were created for humble dependence and we crave, we crave prideful independence, right? We want to be like God, not humbly dependent on God. 
the flesh, these desires have become our slave masters. These desires drive us and control us. And the spirit broke into that slavery, that realm of slavery to set us free. The problem is that we still love our prison. We still have our prison. We deceive ourselves into thinking that, that our prison is essential to our well-being. I have to be in control to be secure. I have to, I have, to have this pleasure in, in order to find this rest. I, I have to have this recognition in order to feel significant. I have to have this person or this group's approval to feel loved. I, I, I come to start seeing my prison as essential to my identity. And so as a result, we're often not looking to be set free. If we're honest, we're not looking to be set free. We just want the spirit to come and redecorate our cell. I want to stay in my cell. I've defined like spirit. I, I, I know the story I want to tell for myself. I know how I want to get where I want to go. I want, I, I want to keep in control, right? But I would really like it if you would, uh, you know, make this wall a little bigger or, or repaint this or, or give me a more comfortable bed or, or, you know, give me a little more security over here. What we want is, is the spirits come in and redecorate our prison instead of actually setting us free from it into our completely new identity in Christ. All right, more practical example. God has promised to set you free from anxiety. Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you feel the tension of, of not, like especially in this uncertain time, you don't know what's coming. Uh, you don't know when it's going to come. You don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't, I mean, everything from the pandemic uh, to the election to holy cow, the murder hornets might come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you feel anxiety? Listen to me. God has promised you that he can set you free from anxiety. And you're like, Steve, that is great news. I will take that. Huh. I, will, I, will, I will claim that promise. Great. Tell you what, start each day completely dependent on the God who's in control. Like, abandon yourself. Abandon your bank account. Abandon everyone you love. Not leave them, but I'm saying abandon them to God. Like, like, like just give them to God. God is in control over the situation. God is, is bigger than, than, than everything around you. Just remind yourself of that and stop trying to control it. Like, like, let it go. Let God be God and stop trying to be God, right? There you go. If you do that, I promise you, you will be set free from anxiety. If you rest in the power of God instead of competing with the power of God. Right? Just let it all go. Stop trying to control your circumstances and the people in your life. God's in control. Walk in the freedom. And some of you are like, yeah, thanks, but, but no thanks. Right? Why, why would we say no thanks to that? Because I want freedom, but I absolutely can't let go of my illusion of control. I, 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 I have to stay in control. I don't want, I don't want God to set me that free. I just want him to set, him, set me free into my illusion of control. I, I want him to, to, to bless my plan, right? Listen, God promises to set you free from anger and bitterness. And some of you are like, oh, man, Steve, that, that's a great promise. That's great news because right now I'm angry all the time. Every time I get on social media, I'm angry. Every time I talk to, to Uncle Larry, I'm angry. Every time I see that post, I'm angry. Every time I hear that, that politician, I'm angry. I am angry and I am bitter. 
then I have resentment and I would love to be completely set free from that. You know, great, great. Just do this. Start every single day reminding yourself that you aren't judge, but God is. Like, just stop judging. Totally stop judging. Step away from it. Your need to to compare, to approve, to measure. Just let it all go. God is judge. God is actually judge over, over everything he's created, not you. At the end of the day, you don't get to judge a thing. Like, that's not your seat to sit in. That's his. You, you will never get to sit in that seat. So just stop trying. How's that? Just let God be God. Stop judging completely. Stop evaluating. Stop measuring who's right or wrong. Stop comparing yourself to others. Just let it all go. Let God be God and stop competing with God. Rely on the God who measures all things. And, and at the end of the day, will we'll judge all things according to his justice, according to his grace, according to, to whatever measure is appropriate. God will be judged. Just let God be judged. And some of you are like, you know what? Yes, Steve, thanks, but, but no thanks. Because honestly, I... I kind of like showing stupid people how stupid they are. I, I kind of get joy out of kind of rubbing their nose in it. I, I, I find that I feel significant or powerful or, or, or important or smart or, or you know, like, like when, I, when I show them, when I correct them, when I, when I, or if I just quietly judge them. Maybe I don't have a need to move into the confrontation. I just need, have a need to quietly judge them from a distance and, and find memes that express my judgment for me and sometimes repost them and sometimes just, you know, screenshot them and save them in a special place where I can go back and enjoy my, my judgment of others all, all by myself, right? Listen, this is the problem, y'all. We want to be free. But we don't want to leave what we love. We want to be free but we love our prison. We want to be free, but this slavery has come to feel not just like home, but us. And if I step out of this, who am I? And, and that freedom is scary. And that freedom is, is overwhelming. And that freedom is, is, I like it over here where I get to stay in control. I like it over here where I get to define things. I like it over here where, but I'm deceiving myself. I'm mocking God. When I don't want to leave what I love, my sin, my slavery, my prison. Listen, y'all, every choice sows seeds. And you will reap what you sow. I know some of you are like, Steve, come on, man. I think you're, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think you're being a little naive because it's not that easy. Right? I can't just not be anxious. I can't just not struggle with lust. I can't just not be provoked when I see racism or stupidity or Marxists or theological wrongness or whatever it is that pushes your buttons. And I'm going to affirm you for a moment. No, you can't. You, you can't not do these things, at least not on your own, because you can't fix yourself. You're right. You can't climb your way out of your own prison, nor can you transform your prison into something that it's not. You, you can't, right? But that doesn't mean you can't be set free. 
Listen, some of you are so deeply enslaved. All of us are at some level in some ways. All of us are. But, but some of you are, are, are in spots where God has invited you to freedom and, and the struggles become so intense or, 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 or your, your repeated failures have become so glaring that you look at your lust or your anxiety, your anger or, or whatever it is, and you start thinking that you're helpless in the situation and therefore your situation is hopeless. You start seeing yourself as helpless and so you conclude that your situation is hopeless. And the reality is, you are helpless, but you are not hopeless. You know why? Because you believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can deliver you from your besetting sins, from your chronic weaknesses, from, from, from the things that are torturing you and enslaving you. Don't be deceived. Don't mock God. You are helpless. But you're not hopeless. See, as soon as you take it there, I'm helpless, therefore I'm hopeless. You're lying about God. You're lying about the power of the Spirit. You're lying about what God can and wants to do in your life. And subtly, my guess is, you are doing it to justify the fact that you've set up a cot in your prison and you want to get comfortable in it. You're tired of wrestling. You are tired of the struggle. You are tired of feeling exhausted. And, 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 and instead of actually taking your exhaustion and actually collapsing into the power of the Spirit, you want to take your exhaustion and collapse into your excuses not to leave it. Listen, you can't do it. But God can. God can. Whatever it is, whatever it is, that thing, that thing right now that you're thinking about. If I could just be set free from that, you can be set free. Whatever it is that you're like, man, I could never confess that to God. You can confess that to God right now. Whatever that, that, that weakness is that you keep trying to hide from yourself and from God, you can expose it to God right now. You can be helpless. Because when you're helpless in, in the presence of God, you always fall into the grace of God. And that is a soft landing. When you are helpless in the presence of God, you will fall into the grace of God. And it is in the grace of God that you will be lifted up, changed, and transformed. But you have to embrace your helplessness. You can't ask God to keep blessing you with more independent energy to continue trying to save yourself, deliver yourself, change yourself. He's, that's not how it works. You have to sow to the Spirit. It'll take time. It'll be progressive. It's going to be difficult and messy because that, that's actually part of how God has designed the sanctification process. It's not, it, it is your sin, but you need to realize your struggle is every Christian's struggle. Everybody struggles to grow. And so we need to learn to intentionally sow to the Spirit. Right? It's easy to sow to the flesh. That, 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 that almost comes by default. Right, that, that's that the battleground. We're familiar with, with how to win over there or how to lose by, by sowing to the flesh. We have to learn to become intentional of, uh, to sow to the Spirit. So there are two ways I want to talk about that we sow seeds to our spiritual life. We sow seeds to the Spirit that will produce the fruit of the fullness of life, that will produce the fruit of, of life. 
And those two seeds that we sow, or those two ways we sow seeds, are what we take in and what we let out. What we take in and what we let out. First of all, let's talk about what we, what we take in. Listen, what you allow into your mind, what you allow to settle into your heart, is either going to sow seeds to the flesh or seeds to the spirit. So you need to be careful. You need to be cautious. You need to be intentional. Right? Let me give you an example. Um, I've had this habit when I wake up in the morning. Um, sometimes I have a meeting and I've got to get right out of bed. Sometimes I just wake up and I've got a little while as I'm waking up. Sometimes I'll just roll over and grab my phone. It sits on the uh, nightstand next to my bed and, and, and I'll open it up. And, and typically what I do is, is I check my email, see if anything came in overnight. I'll see if I got any texts. Um, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go to the news app and just scroll um, often looking at the summary of the previous day's events. And, and then I'll open social media and, and just kind of scroll and, and take a look. And, and, and you know what that does for me? That typically doesn't do good things for my heart, right? Going to, going to those things right off the bat um, doesn't spur me. I'm taking in things, but they're often things that lead me to feel anxiety, there are often things that, that lead me to feel frustration, maybe even anger. There, there are things that, that make me feel urgency, right? Because the world's burning down. And look at me, I'm laying here in bed, right? I am sowing seeds. By making a choice about what I take in in those moments, I am sowing seeds into my soul, and it will bear fruit, right? Now, Lauren has her ESV app on her phone. ESV uh, is a Bible translation, and, uh, and she has the ESV app on her phone, and it will read to you, right? And so she has it open to the Psalms, and, and often before she goes to bed, she will just hit play and, and listen to a few very specific Psalms that, that she wants to center her mind on. Sometimes in the morning when there's time, she'll, she'll hit play and, and listen to the Psalms. Um, you know, it took me a long time. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> That's a great idea. Like it, I'm a little hard-headed and slow, but I realized there was something very, very different in the way that, that she was engaging this than, than the way I was, right? By, by, um, by listening to his word. Listen, God has given us specific ways that we can sow to the spirit. God has given us specific ways that we can engage grace, right? And, and sow seed to the spirit in our lives. And, and, and these, aren't, these aren't mysterious, Right? These aren't unknown. In fact, our church has five core values. Uh, and these five core values come from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where the early church says the early church was devoted to these things. In other words, these were the ways they sowed to the Spirit in their lives, individually and into their life as a community. And, and these things are, are, right, they were devoted to the Word of God, to the Apostles' doctrine, right? Engaging His Word. God gave us His Word. Not just so that we could, we could learn theology, not just so that we could defeat people that disagree with us, but so that we could fall in love with the God who is revealed in the theology. So that we can come to know ourselves and see our need and see his provision and receive that provision in love because it is an outpouring of grace, right? Engaging his word, spending time in prayer. That was one of the things, the, the early church devoted themselves to the prayers, right? Learning to, to pray, right? Uh, entering genuine community, the sharing of, of life and, and, and the sharing of, of celebrations and sorrows, right, with other believers in Christ, fostering a genuine connection with community, sows 
to the Spirit, right? Leading your heart to experience genuine worship, right? Um, learning to engage. Um, now, all of life is worship. Singing is only one aspect of that, but it's a powerful aspect of it. And, and so learning to, in, to sing truth in such a way that your heart engages that truth. Learning to, to maybe see things in, in nature or to things, see things in people and learn to allow that to provoke within you a response to beauty, a response to goodness, to, to worship God, not the beauty itself, but, but every beauty is a reflection of the God who's beautiful. Everything is just is a reflection of the God who is just. Right? We, we, we turn our worship to the God who is the original stuff, right? These, these four things, the word of God, prayer, community, and worship are intentional ways that we can sow to the Spirit in our lives. I would, be, I would encourage you, man, you need to have a daily habit of reading the Word of God, of engaging the Word of God. Maybe it's on your app, and, you, and you're listening to it in the car on the way to work, or, or if you're working from home, you're putting it in your earbuds on your walk down to the basement so that you go to the office. Uh, maybe you're memorizing, right? I have found tremendous power in memorizing Scripture. I don't usually set out to memorize Scripture. What I do is I set out to meditate on Scripture. I'll take a passage and I'll just read it over and over and I'll listen to it over and over and over. And what ends up happening is it becomes so familiar to me that I can quote it, right? But the goal isn't purely memorization. It's not an intellectual pursuit of simply accomplishing memorization. It is, it is sitting in it. It is meditating on it. It is listening to it. And, and an important way of doing that is recalling it from memory. Because when I recall it from memory, I often hear things in those words that I didn't hear when I was just reading it. It slows me down. It's a form of meditation that allows me to, to ruminate and, and just think about it in, in new ways, right? We need to read memorize, memorize Scripture, not to prove people wrong so that you can come to love the God who is right, right? You need to pray throughout the day, right? At the prayer times, like have a prayer time, have a prayer list, of people you're praying for, things you're praying for, your big, hairy, audacious things that you're praying for, you know, your BHAGs, your, what, what, are you, what are the huge things you're asking God for? But more than that, every day, every moment, right? When you're listening to the news, turn it into a conversation with God. When you're scrolling through social media, don't turn off your conversation. Pray about it. When you're in temptation, talk to it about God. If you give in to temptation, then run quickly in confession to God. Like pray continually. Build a, a posture of prayer, right? Interact with other believers. Like actually engage. Don't just shut them out. Don't just go through the motions of fellowship, but, but actually move into community where, where you're inviting people to know you, to pray for you, to celebrate with you, to mourn with you, right? To actually experience life with you. Pursue genuine community with, with people that will um, come alongside and encourage you, right? Um, and worship, right? Maybe that's outdoors. Maybe it's, but man, I listen to good music. There's, there's great worship music, right? This is no longer the 80s. There's great worship music that you can listen to and, and it will lead you into a deep responsive place of, of, of like responding to the beautiful truths of God's word right? Trailhead has a Spotify, Spotify worship list that, that you can tune into and listen to. Um, this week in my newsletter, I shared a worship album that I've been listening to over the last week that's really been encouraging my heart. Um, but I would encourage you, man, engage, right? Listen, these are all ways that you can sow to the Spirit. These are engaging 
uh, opportunities to engage grace. These are, these are things that God has, avenues that God has given us to engage grace. And when we choose to engage grace, we sow seeds in our soul of grace. We, we sow to the Spirit. So we need to be intentional about, about what we're taking in. Right? We need to pay attention to it. There are times that, that I won't engage social media. Right? I just won't. Because I know there's an argument waiting for me. Or, or I know that there's, I know that, that, that as soon as I start scrolling, I'm going to be provoked. And I'm just not in a spiritual spot to be in, in a good spot with that. I, I need to go take something else in. I need to be intentional. Right? Th- there are times that, that I know I'm going into a difficult conversation or into an environment where there's going to be temptation. And my heart's not ready for it. I need to spend time intentionally sowing to the Spirit so, so that I'm not taken off guard by the temptation in that space. I'm not taken off guard by the waiting argument in that space. I'm, I'm able to move into it and have the fruit of the Spirit be present in it. Be intentional, right? Be intentional in the things that, that, that you're taking in um, to, to invest in this, to, to sow seed to the Spirit. But we also need to be intentional about what we let out, right? Take a look at verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good, right? That, that's something we put out. It's not just about what we take in. It's about what we let out. It's, it's about what, what we intentionally lead out with, right? He says, do good. Now, that's really vague. Do good can mean anything, and, and it means a lot of things, and, and I think it's intentionally broad, but it's kind of hard to define what he means by that. So let's take a look at the next verse, because he, he has a specific idea in mind in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Right? He, he's not just talking about abstract moral good. He's talking about specific relational good. Right? Let us do good to everyone. In other words, let's love. Let's love, right? Love people. Love everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith, right? Because the same spirit that's in me is in you, even though you sit across the, the political aisle from me. You're, you're that kind of Christian. I'm this kind of Christian. You vote for that candidate. I vote for this candidate. But the same spirit indwells us both. Do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Don't grow weary. Do good, right? But not just abstract moral good, relational good. Love. Sow to the Spirit by acting in love to the people around you. When, when, when you are confronted by that person, when you, when you are confronted by that post, when you are confronted by that coworker, choose to express love. Choose to act in love. Do good to everyone. Reject the impulse to act in the flesh. Reject the, the impulse um, to, to, to judge them, to get angry at them, to feel superior to them, to be jealous of them, to minimize them, to, to, to turn away in, in shame from them. Don't sow to the flesh. Sow to the Spirit. You know what makes frustration worse? Grumbling. Nobody has ever grumbled their way out of frustration. 
You know what I'm saying? Like when you get frustrated and you start grumbling, nobody has ever been able to grumble themselves back into joy. Like, oh, hey, I grumbled enough. I'm on the other side. No, no, grumbling sows to the flesh. And when you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. It increases the frustration and the dissatisfaction and the lack of joy and the resentment. You see, it increases. You get a harvest of corruption. You know what makes anxiety worse? Words of complaining and controlling. Well, when you feel anxious and you just start talking about how you're not in control and how you wish you had this and you resent that that was taken from you and, and if I could just have this and if this person would just stop doing this and this person would start, no one has ever complained or controlled their way out of anxiety. It only increases the anxiety. You know what makes lust worse? Words of self-pity and entitlement, Right? Oh, I'm tempted to do this, and I wouldn't if he would just stop, or if she would just be, or, or if they would, right? Self-pity, self-entitlement, amplifying your, 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 your neediness. Nobody ever, nobody ever talked themselves out of an experience of lust by sowing seeds to the flesh. You know what also doesn't work are words of self-condemnation and shame. Right, I feel lust, so therefore I'm like, I'm like, I'm so stupid. I, I'm an idiot. I'm the worst on the, in the world. I'm, 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 I'm the worst of all gods. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, words of self-condemnation and shame produce the fruit of corruption. It's sowing to the flesh. Nobody ever has been able to sow to the flesh and end up getting the fruit of the spirit. Do not be deceived. Do not mock God. Right? That doesn't. It doesn't work. When we express words that come from the flesh, when we manifest attitudes that come from the flesh, we sow to the flesh. Do good. Not just abstract good, but, but actual relational good to everyone, including yourself. Right? Love. Love. Love other Christians, even if they're different. Love Muslims. Love Republicans. Love Democrats. Love spouses. Love ex-spouses. Love everyone. And choose to speak words of grace and love. And some of you are really uncomfortable with me right now. You're not liking me because you're like, Steve, that would require me to forgive. And I can't forgive them for what they did. Let me just be blunt with you. Yes, you can. Yeah, but Steve, you don't know. I don't know. I don't need to know. I know you can forgive them because God says you can forgive them. We can forgive even as we've been forgiven. God says you can forgive. Therefore, to say you can't is itself words that sow to the flesh because you are speaking a lie about yourself and about God that helps reinforce your prison and helps you take up camp where you were never intended to stay. It's just not true. Now listen, I'm not saying you don't feel hurt. I'm not saying that, 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 that your heart's not pent up in pain because that's the thing with forgiveness, isn't it? It's not a one and done. Every time the wound is reopened, you have to forgive again. Every time you're reminded of the pain, you have to forgive again. Every time a memory comes up, you have to forgive again. Forgiveness is something you have to do over and over and over and over, but do not grow weary in doing good, right? 
you need to love, right? Even if you're feeling that pain, okay, but, but don't sow seeds of the flesh that will increase your experience of corruption, that will increase your anxiety, increase the, the, the pain, increase your, your, your sense of desperation, increase your resentment, increase your, your jealousy and your bitterness. Just don't do it. Push out in love, even to them. Let me give you a little, little way I do this. I discovered this, and, and, and I'm going to tell you it's not easy. There are certain people that I knew I had to forgive, and I was having a really, really, and, and, and I'm speaking in past tense, but this is an ongoing reality because forgiveness isn't a one and done, right? So, so there are people I have a hard time forgiving in my life, right? I think I've got it done, and then something reopens, and I'm like, ah, here we go again, right? So let me, a simple prayer I have learned to pray, and it hurts to pray it. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. Steve, I can't pray that. Yeah, you can. Don't tell yourself a lie. Yes, you can. Because when I pray, Lord, bless them, what I'm saying is, you're God, I'm not. And I'm asking you to bless them in whatever way you see fit. Sometimes the blessing of God looks like an abundance of good, and sometimes the blessing of God looks like a whole series of trials. But God, you bless them. However you see fit. Whatever, whatever... But, but you are the God of justice and you are the God of grace and I am not. And, and so in order to sow seeds to the Spirit in my own soul, I will pray, Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. And I pray it until I mean it. Like I don't just say the words. I pray it until I mean it. And here's what's beautiful, y'all. When I get to a place where I'm actually able to speak those words and mean it, Lord, you bless them in whatever way you intend to bless them. I release them to you. I, Lord, bless them. When I get there, I've, I've opened the prison gate, the one that I had so tightly shut because I wanted to keep them, and I realized the person that was set free is me. They were never in my prison. It's the Spirit setting me free from resentment from anxiety, from bitterness. And I'm telling y'all, it's not an easy prayer to pray and, 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 and you've got to pray it over and over and over again. But don't tell yourself you can't forgive. Don't tell yourself you can't stop sinning. Don't tell yourself you can't. Because you are deceiving yourself and, and, and you, are, you, are, you are lying against God. Push out in love even to those that you find unlovable. Even when your heart is pent up and hurt, push out in love. Pray for them. Because when you're doing that, you are sowing seeds to the Spirit. And listen to me, you will reap what you sow. It may take a day, it may take a week, it may take a month, but you will reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap the fruit of life. Let's be those who sow to the Spirit so that we can be filled with the Spirit, we can abide in the vine, and, and we can keep in step with the Spirit and experience the fruit of the Spirit. All right, y'all, let me close this in word of prayer. And I'll wrap up. Father, I thank you that we have this incredible invitation and that you have entered into this warfare. Lord, we admit that often we side against you. We admit that often our heart wrestles against you. 
We, we crave the blessings of life, but we want those blessings on our terms and our ways, and, and we wrestle against you. And, and, and at times, we even grieve you, Holy Spirit, by, by, by misrepresenting you and lying about you, even as you reside within us. But I thank you that you are a humble God, that you don't reject us, that you don't give up on us, that your grace comes to us as grace upon grace upon grace, a never-ending invitation back to life, and that when we finally, again, find ourselves in that place of complete helplessness and we collapse, we find ourselves once again embraced with grace. Help us feel this invitation today and teach us what it means every single day to sow to the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.